about him is indisputable. I've experienced it. I've seen it. Would you put your hands together and give a good God some praise today? Has he been good to you? Is he worthy of honor and adoration today? Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. It may seem odd to those who attend church regularly or call yourself a Christian, follow God on a daily basis, but for those that are on the outside coming to God for the first time, one of the first things they must be convinced of because the devil lies to them otherwise is that God is for them. He's for their happiness. He's for their prosperity. He's for their future. He's for their children. Because the enemy wants to have them believe in that God is a sword-wielding executor of judgment that's constantly looking for their mistakes, looking for when they fall short. And I'm here to tell you, God is for you today. God is for you today. Tell your neighbor, God is for you. And I am thankful for that. Because sometimes allies are hard to find in this world. Politicians, they're not for you. They're for themselves. Come on, somebody. The banker, he's for himself. Sometimes your employer, he's for himself. It's hard to find a great ally. And is there a better ally than God? Is there, is there someone better to have in your corner than the creator of all the world? I'm so glad that he is for me. And if God be for us, who can be against us? <laughs> I'm so glad that he's for us today. It is good to see you in the house of the Lord and your post-Thanksgiving hangover, eating too much. I know you're all out there convicted and feeling bad today, waiting on the altar call so you can come on down here and ask God to forgive you for gluttony. I'm right there with you. I'm feeling that pain myself today. It's good to see you. And this is a time of travel. We have people that are gone, but we also get the benefit of those that come in. I mean, we're so glad to see the Hartman family. They've been a part of our church family for a number of years. And others that are here with family, thank you so much. We're glad that you are here. We are glad that you are here. Next Sunday afternoon will be the annual uh, Fuquay Verena Christmas Parade. And uh, I'm glad the Hartmans are here today because I have been wanting to announce this anyway. It's just perfect. So next Sunday... Uh, from four to six of the annual Fuquay Christmas Parade. And we, for the first time this year, we wanted to rent a float. Uh, I can tell you that in years past, we would decorate our own float. Sometimes it was good, and sometimes let's just move on. I've told the story to a few people, but one of the first floats we ever had in the Andrew Christmas Parade when we were in the storefront years ago, we had this banner made, and it said the Pentecostals. And so proud of that banner. Couldn't wait to get it on the float. We were going to go downtown Andrew and wave and just, man, I was so proud. Just as we were about to take off and they're attacking the banner up on the back of the float and uh, the float coordinator's waving, you're about ready to go down. Thousands of people, or probably not that time in Andrew, probably hundreds of people, be honest, was waiting on us. And just as we were about to take off, I happened to look up at this big banner and had Pentecostal spelled wrong. I'm like, 
Are you kidding me right now? Where the O was at, there was an A. And so everybody was panicking. What are we going to do? We can't go downtown Andrew with Pentecostal spelled wrong. They already think we're idiots. And so I happened to find this green ivy that was hanging off the side of the float. I grabbed that green ivy and a staple gun, and I just stapled it right over top of the A. And so it was Pentecostal. So we've come a long way, and I said all that to say this. We've rented a professional float this year, and it is gorgeous. We had a number of ones to pick from, and uh, we had already determined that we were doing Candy Cane Lane for our Christmas presentation this year. That was already set, and so we began to look for floats, and I'll be if there wasn't the most perfect float you can imagine. Candy canes over, big, huge, I mean, it looks like they went and made it for us and delivered it. It is beautiful. Uh, safe to say it's probably going to be the most beautiful float in the whole town. So come from 4 to 6 downtown Fuquay next Sunday afternoon. There's no evening service, no evening activities. We want you to be there. So when that float goes by and you hear that candy cane lean music and the kids are on the float looking great, and you can be proud of that float. You can be like, hey, that's my church. That's my church. That's next Sunday from 4 to 6. So be a part of that. No evening activities. We want you to be there. Enjoy that. <clears throat> and uh, it's going to be awesome. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. This is an interesting time of the year. People clearly are already thinking about holidays, festivities, and those are good things. And uh, they provide an opportunity to talk about timely principles that need to be addressed this time of year. Uh, every few years I will talk about this particular principle because it's something we battle on a consistent basis and today I think is a good day. feel God's direction in this. Philippians chapter 4 verse 10, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly <clears throat> that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again wherein you were also careful but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. Someone say learn. Not obtained, not finally got enough, not finally put enough in the barn or the garage or in the attic, but I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. It's a state. It's a decision. It's something I learn, and that can be all done without one red penny, without one red penny. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And in conclusion, the summary of all of this, he says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can do it when I'm abased. I can do it when I abound. I can do it when I'm full. I can do it when I'm hungry. I, I can do it when I have enough, and I can do it when I suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Today I want to minister, teach, preach, kind of in between there somewhere, hopefully, uh, on the wars within. The wars within. Let's pray today. God, thank you. 
Thank you for this wonderful day. Thank you for bringing us to the house of the Lord. We never want to underestimate the great privilege of being uh, healthy enough, having the, the freedom and the opportunity and the place to come and worship you. Let us receive your word with gladness, apply it to our hearts, and let us leave change today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say amen. Greet somebody near you. If they came in late, let them know you're glad to see them before you're seated. I didn't plan it this way, but it was so perfect that, of course, Pastor Martinez and myself share the birthday today, and that's awesome, but what's even better than that is he's not here today to hog some of that attention from me. I get it all today. Um, and uh, he is on vacation, so I'm a little um, upset about that, but uh, he is missing out on all the attention now because I get it all, and, and next Sunday it'll be like, who are you? We don't care. It's not your birthday today, so move on. Today is about me, and that's awesome. No, it's not. But thank you. Uh, so many of you have already told me, so thank you so very much. Um, it only happens every once in a while, and honestly, I don't like it when it happens on Sunday, but uh, thank you. I am getting old, and uh, that's obvious, and, but the Lord's been good. Amen. The Lord's been good. The war's within. You know, I recently heard, I don't know if it was a comedian or I don't know, he, he said this, and it was so true. He said, everything's amazing and nobody's happy. Everything's amazing and nobody's happy. How many are old enough to remember or have actually or personally used at one point in your life a rotary phone? I'm sad that my hand's up right now. I'm just really sad. Dishonesty would be so convenient right now. I've used a rotary phone. And so for those of you like in the first two or three rows, the rotary phone would be you'd stick your finger in the little spot where it had a one, two, or three, and you'd go... And then you it would literally like take five minutes to dial somebody's number. And then there was that obnoxious guy who had two zeros in his phone number, and you had to go all the way around. And it just remember when we used to have to go to the bank to get money? Like in the bank to get money. And then when you ran out of money, you just didn't do things anymore. That was it. You're like, oh well. It's not like that anymore. And then if you did have a credit card when they finally came around and you would want to use it, remember the guy that would bring out the big, gigantic machine of metal and slam it down on the counter and put your credit card on there and he'd go, rawr, rawr. and then he would, this guy, he, it's so funny, he said, then he would call the president to make sure you had enough money in the bank. We get so frustrated when our smartphones, which literally have the computing power of uh, massive computers years ago, we get so frustrated with our phone when it just, it's a little bit slow and just gets on our nerves so bad. And it's like, oh, I'm sorry, it's communicating with space right now. I mean, can we give it a second or two? He said, everything's amazing and we're not happy. We're not happy. The time when and you've probably been there if you've ever flown. And I don't know if it's just me or it just seems like people are angrier and angrier on planes. We read all the time about people uh, losing their temper and just, I mean, literally losing it on planes nowadays. And it's incredible how frustrating and upset people can get on a plane. And I recently heard of a guy who literally had to get taken off the plane because the high-speed Internet on the plane was not working as fast as he wanted it to. I mean... People complain about flights. I mean, I've I got to be honest, I've complained about flights. 
uh, complained about my chair not leaning back enough. Or the Ogden, if he don't get his TSA quick check-in where he's from the terminal to the plane in three and a half minutes. He's like, he's in, this guy flies all the time. He's inconvenienced. And, but yet it's hard to imagine that the way people complain about planes nowadays, you would think they had driven in the back of a truck from Texas to New York. It was so uncomfortable. I had to literally wait 20 minutes at the terminal. And then the other audacity, when I got on the plane, I had to sit through another 20 minutes on the plane. It's, but then it's like they forget about what happens next. You flew sitting in a chair like a bird. I mean, you literally went from New York to California in about six hours. That used to take 30 years. People would have babies in that amount of time. People would die. Like the group of people that started was not even the same group of people that showed up and you're mad because your seat doesn't recline the way it should. Everyone on every flight, if we really think about it, should just sit there in complete amazement. I'm flying in the air in a chair. I uh, recently taking my grandmother to lunch. And uh, I was apologizing because the heat in my truck was not heating up as quick as I wanted it to. And we're sitting there, and she said, oh, it's no big deal. She said, I used to ride a horse to school. <laughs> That's one generation. One generation. She's sitting there, right there, alive next to me, rode a horse everywhere she went, and I'm mad because... The heat in my seat is not moving quick enough. It's incredible that we're so blessed. We have so much. Everything is so incredibly amazing, but we're not happy. It doesn't seem to be that we're satisfied. And so I want to talk today, today. I want to preach, teach, whatever. I want to just demonstrate and help communicate a principle. And I want to start off by simply asking you a question. What makes you content? What makes you happy? It's not that I want to appear to be a know-it-all today, but I want to tell you what makes you happy. I want to let you know. Because believe it or not, there are a lot of people that don't know what makes them content. They don't know what brings them happiness. And in this season that we are in, as we are about to plunge headlong into Christmas and there is a gathering and an accumulating and a buying, making sure everybody gets what they want for Christmas and the stores are all crowded, I think it's important that we pause before we head into the season and be reminded today of what really brings us contentment and what really brings us happiness. And it's got nothing to do with what you write a check for or swipe your credit card for or put on railway or finance. We need to be reminded today of what brings contentment in our life. Some don't know how to be content. Have you ever seen somebody who's uncomfortable being happy? I mean, when you see a genuine smile on their face, it's like a rare thing, and they're embarrassed that you caught them doing it. They're not content. They're not happy. Think about the money that we have spent trying to be happy and trying to be content. How many have ever been to Disney World? Hartman, just keep your hand down. You go every 30 minutes. It's okay. They live basically in Disney World. So. But if you've ever been to Disney World, you understand this. 
You have seen the angst and the worry and the anxiety and the terror in the eyes of parents who have literally spent generational money so their kids could go to Disney World and their kids are not happy. They're throwing a fit. They're falling on the ground. They're rolling around because their popcorn doesn't have enough butter on it or their drinks spilled out on the ground and these parents are suddenly coming to the realization and it's dawning on them and it's a great tragedy that I've spent thousands of dollars for my kids to be happy and they're not happy. They're not happy. Think of the money that you spent, cars, houses, toys, vacations, and trips. The raw truth is we have forgotten about what makes us content and happy. We've forgotten it. And so... I want to start today by letting you know that even though you may say to yourself, because I can sense it, I've been doing this long enough to know where a lot of the congregation say, oh, okay, I know what he's about to say. I know, I know. The problem is you don't act like you know what I say. Most of you are not, you don't act on a daily basis like you know what I'm about to say or you understand what I'm about to say or you definitely don't believe what I'm about to say. Because the realization is when you do understand that there is a peace and a contentment uh, that this world cannot comprehend and does not understand. But it will be the greatest gift that you have ever personally given yourself. The greatest gift you will get this Christmas season will be the one that you give to yourself when you learn peace and you learn contentment and you learn that happiness is a gift you can give yourself. You see, contentment is more about who than what. It's more about who than what. As a kid, it's always been that because it's all about who we are around, other kids or friends that really make us happy. Even as a teenager, happiness is not even necessarily what we are doing. It's who we are doing it with. I know that from personal experience because having been in youth ministry a number of years, I would have these lock-ins at church and I would have these elaborate games and all of this stuff that we'd spent weeks planning for these kids to come and have a great time and all of this stuff for them to do and they wanted to just sit over in a corner and talk to their friend. I'm like, we, just, we could have just, I mean, we could have saved a lot of money and a lot of time because it's about who and not what. Happiness is always associated with a who or two. If happiness or contentment was associated with what, then when we got in trouble, when we are unhappy, when we get in a situation, then all we would have to do is go run out and buy a what. We could buy a thing or we could get this something. If what brought us happiness when we were unhappy, we could just go out and get a what and that would fix it. But contentment and peace and happiness is not in what, it's in who. It wouldn't matter how we were treated, what happened at work, what kind of day we had. We would just run home and get our what. But contentment and peace is not in what, it's in who. But here is the critical truth. This is something you must get a hold of before you crash into Christmas, and that is this. What always leads to what else? What always leads to what else? What's next? How many remember how excited you got when you got your new phone? Right? 
Man, look at my new phone. Look what it can do. You were just as excited when you got your old phone as you were when you got your new phone, which is now an old phone, so now you need a new phone. What always leads to what's next? The car you're driving. When you first got it, I mean, when it drove in the parking lot of the church, everybody's eyes were like, whoa, look at the shine on that thing. Kids get in the car and they break out a fry and you're like, oh no, nobody's eating in this car. Like you're not even breathing in this car. And now, oh the shame if I were to dismiss church and everybody just go open their cars right now and have people look in. Happy Meals falling out on the ground. Molded lunch. No telling what's underneath the seats. And that was a new car just a few weeks ago. Why? Because what? Always leads to what's next. Job. We're going into the new year. Somebody will try a new diet fad, new exercise regimen. That's all great. But when we seek contentment, when we seek peace, when we seek happiness in what, I want to tell you right now, no matter what it is, what will always lead to what's next. New car, new job, new phone, more money, promotion, relationship. I'm telling you right now, never rely and depend on what's to bring you happiness. You need to understand it's who is that what brings you happiness. If an aging what is the cause for your deflating happiness, you were not happy to start with. As a parent, we know this to be true. It's hard to be happier than your most unhappy child. Right? You, you can't be happy if you've got one of your children right now that is miserably unhappy, like going to the store, going on vacation. Why? Because happiness is tied to a who and not what. You don't believe me today, couples who have struggled with infertility will tell you that regardless of how much what they get, nothing takes the place of a who. Nothing takes the place of a who. And at the end of your life, listen to pastor, at the end of your life, you will have relational regrets, not possessional regrets. Why? Because contentment and peace is who and not what. I've been with a lot of people at the end of their life, and I've never seen anyone attempt to make it right and make peace with a what at the end of their life. <laughs> Honey, would you go get my tools? I need to say one more thing to them before I go. <laughs> oh, baby, if you could just let me hold my gun one more time. No matter what it is, I love guns. And I love tools when somebody else is holding them, working for me. <laughs> Wheel me out in the parking lot and let me say goodbye to my truck. Nobody ever does that because our regrets in life are never based on what's. What we bought, what we obtained. And you say, Pastor, why are you preaching this? Because every one of us right now are making Christmas lists that are a mile long. And there's nothing wrong with that. I love Christmas. But we cannot get caught up in thinking that any of that is going to bring you one ounce of peace or one ounce of contentment. Because if you get caught up in that cycle and you get caught up in that trap, then you will constantly chase that carrot from one what to the next, what to the next, what. You need to understand that true peace and true contentment, true joy and true happiness comes with a relationship with Almighty God.
what I have seen at the end of people's lives is they want someone in there. I have orchestrated a number of situations where people spent a lifetime ostracizing themselves from someone in their family because of something they did 20 or 30 years ago. And as they were drawing their last breath, uh, Pastor, could you get a hold of my daughter? Pastor, could you somehow find my son, get them on the phone? Can they get here somehow? I've got to talk to them. I've got to speak to them. Because when everything is put in perspective and you are facing eternity, it becomes painfully obvious that what I bought, what I put in the garage, what I financed, what I put so much stock and value in, it means nothing. Because true contentment and peace are the relationships, the who's in our life, the people in our life. You will never experience possessional regret, but you will experience relational regret if you do not place a proper value on those things. And so peace and contentment is not a what, but it's a who. You know, then there is that group of people, and we've all heard them, and I mean, we've said this before, but I want to challenge this theory that says I don't need anyone I don't need anyone and we've all felt that at times there's two kinds of people that say this one the kind of person that says I don't need anyone is because you've had so many people in your life and you've never experienced life without people big family lots of friends you've been surrounded by people your whole life you've got a wonderful family or people all around you and it's easy for you to say, I don't need anyone. It's like sitting in a house full of food saying, I don't need food. Or then there's a second group of people. They will tell you, I don't need anyone because they can't fix their isolation. And so they just tell themselves, I don't need anyone. And it's a defense mechanism. I'm strong. I don't need anyone. They'll post a bunch of quotes they found on the internet about it being strong, independent, self-sufficient, count on nobody, and they'll close the door and cry themselves to sleep. Do not fall for the trap that you don't need people in your life. Don't fall for the trap that you don't need a church. You don't need a community. You don't need a family of believers. Because you may think that, I don't understand why this applies to me, because someone in this church is going to make you mad at some point, and the first thing the devil is going to tell you is you don't need those people. You can stay at home. You can read your Bible at home. You can watch it on the Internet. You can talk to God. You and God can have your own little thing. I'm telling you, that's a lie from the enemy. You need people. We were created to need people. We were barely through the Bible when the, when the God of the universe said it is not that good that men should dwell alone. You need people. The truth is you were not designed to do life alone. The greatest treasure you have in your life are not the what's. They're the who's. I want you to get this revelation. The greatest treasure in your life right now. I mean, if I were to say, whoa, what is it you're most proud of right now? I don't care what job you have. Be the president of the United States, CEO of some company. I don't care what car you drove in the parking lot. And I've got a few that I'd love to have what kind of house you live in, your greatest treasures are in this room right now. It's not the suit you got on, not the shoes you're wearing. The greatest treasure that you have that God gave you are the people that are in your life. 
Are they flawed? Yes. Are they imperfect? Yes. Do they got hang-ups? Yes. Do they drive you crazy sometimes? Absolutely. But the greatest treasure, the thing that will bring you the most peace and the most contentment and the most joy are not the what. They're the who's in your life. So here's what we do. When we can't get what we want, we tell ourselves we don't want it. It's a defense mechanism. I, I don't need other people. I can do this on my own. I'll just walk this road alone. I've been doing it a long time. I can do it by myself. That is a defense mechanism, and it is a lie that you're telling yourself. But we do a good job of it because I've seen people sit in a dealership for five hours filling out paperwork, and then when they don't get the car, they just say, oh, I didn't want it anyway. <laughs> Haven't we all done that? Yeah, you did. You absolutely did. And when you say you don't need anyone, you're lying. And you're lying to yourself. And you're falling into the trap of the enemy. It's okay to say, I need God's people. I need God's church. I need the relationships that God put in my life. They're not perfect. Sometimes they do drive me crazy. Sometimes they do. I read a verse of scripture this just yesterday. And Jose, I, Pastor Barbara meant to send this to you because it made me laugh. There's a, a verse in Hosea, I think it's the third chapter, when he said, he said, the spiritual man has gone mad because of the iniquity of the people. But I knew, I knew those people that church drove me crazy sometimes. <laughs> the spiritual man has gone mad because of the iniquity of the people. Do we drive each other crazy sometimes? Absolutely. Especially in the work of God. We're all running around. We're trying to save the world. We're trying to get as many people to heaven as we possibly can. We know that God is coming back. We know in the moment of a twinkling of an eye, this thing could all be over. And we are all moving around trying to do the very best we can to put as many people on the other side as we possibly can. And yes, we're going to get on each other's nerves sometimes. Yes, the stress can go up. Yes, in all of this doing, sometimes we can grate each other the wrong way. But do not ever convince yourself that people in your life that God has placed there, a church community and a church family can ever be replaced by a what? Love the people in your life. Appreciate the people in your life. Cherish the people in your life. Spend life together with God's people. Pastor Barbara and I have been talking about this. God forbid if the only time you spend time with people at church is at church. They're your greatest treasure. That's the best thing God ever gave you. Make sure you develop and cultivate and cherish and grow relationships that are at church somewhere else. These people are kind of handy to have around. I've moved a few times, and I can tell you. It's the who's in your life. This is your first time coming to this church. Newsflash. There's a lot of people here, they got lots of problems. They ain't perfect. Lots of hang-ups. But I challenge you to find a greater group of people to do life with and to walk this journey with than the group of people you are in church with today. That's your greatest treasure. Congratulations, you just won the spiritual lottery. You walked into a group of people that become your greatest treasure that you can cherish, and it will become the thing that can bring you peace and contentment and joy. Because it's in the who and not the what. And so it's important that we understand that. But 
there's one thing that every content person, every happy person, every joy-filled person in every walk of life has. There are, believe it or not, not that you know any or I know any, but there are some content rich people. And you tell yourself, well, yeah, I'd be content too if I was rich. There are content poor people, happy poor people. There are happy fat people. And there are happy skinny people. They're going away quickly, but there's still a few out there. They all have one thing in common. They have peace. They have peace. It's the common denominator, whether they're rich or poor, but content people are people of peace. Even more than just having a general peace about things, it's deeper than that. If you really look at content people, they have peace in three major areas of their life. For un happy people or discontent people, these are the wars within. These are the wars they fight even this morning. But people that have peace have peace in these three major arenas of their life. If someone is chronically unhappy or constantly trying to find contentment, it's because they do not have peace in one of these arenas of their life. Content people have peace in these areas. Number one, content people are at peace with themselves. Someone say themselves. They are not warring with themselves. They are not still trying to forgive themselves. They are not trying to forget themselves, which is why most people end up drunk at a bar. They're trying to forget themselves. They're trying to forgive themselves. Why do we see people hurt other people? Why do they act that way? I told you that a, a year or two ago, I tried to adopt this policy of when I seen someone acting just in a, in, a, in a way that was like they were mean or they were angry or they're critical or they're cynical. I used to always say, what is wrong with them? Like, what is wrong with them? And then it was like God convicted me and began to cause me to ask this question, what happened to them? Like, what happened to them? They are not at peace with themselves. That's why the old adage is so true. Hurting people, hurting people hurt people, right? Because they're at war in themselves. There's a war going on on the inside, and regardless of how they look on the outside, they may be happy and smiling and post a thousand pictures about their amazing vacation in the Bahamas and they got everybody fooled, they're at, but they're at war with themselves and that's why they're so angry and discontent and cynical and they're so lonely and isolated and they tell themselves they don't need anybody, but they are at war with themselves. Happy people are at peace with themselves. They change the unchangeable physical attribute. They are not trying to reinvent themselves every two weeks. Come on, somebody. It doesn't mean I want to be healthier. doesn't mean I don't want to eat better. doesn't mean I want to adopt some great habits in my life to make me uh, better at my job or more efficient or a better time manager. All those things are, working, are, are worth it. But when you try to reinvent or you see somebody trying to reinvent themselves every two weeks, uh, they are trying to make peace with themselves. 
And brothers, I want to tell you something. You cannot experience contentment and joy and happiness if you are at war with yourself. You listen to pastor. You go out and buy what you want to. You can buy a boat, car, house, house on your boat, boat in your house. I don't care. When you spend all your money and you've done all that, if you are still at war with yourself, you will never be content. And the what will always lead to what else. The wonderful thing about coming to church is it gives you an opportunity to make peace with yourself. I can't believe I did that. That's okay. The blood of Jesus Christ is flowing today, and he can forgive you of that. I can't believe I said that. I understand we've all been there. I can't believe I allowed myself to make that decision. I understand I've made bad decisions too, but you're in a place of grace and mercy, and you've got a God that is for you, and you can start over. Over. You can get a brand new chance. He can change your life. He can make a new creature out of you. And you can be at peace with yourself. God, if I could give anything on this Christmas season, I wish I could grant people peace with themselves. I counsel people all the time, and they tell me, 10 years ago, Pastor, I did this, and I've never gotten over it. 20 years ago, this happened to me, and bitterness got in my heart, and I cannot get over it until you make peace with yourself and understand that God is for you. God loves you. God's people are for you. They want your contentment. They want your peace. They want your happiness until you can shut the door on that and make peace with yourself. Contentment will never be yours. You must have peace with yourself. Second arena that happy people, content people have peace in is they have peace with other people. Peace with other people. I don't mean they get along with everybody because you're automatically thinking, I can't have peace with everybody. Even the apostle says, I try my best. But some people are not peaceable. They're not agreeable. This is not about how they treat you. It's how you treat them. Having peace with other people is how I conduct myself around them. I refuse to allow them to draw the worst of me out. I refuse to allow them to trigger me to say and do something that I, I later will regret and therefore start a war within myself and I don't have the contentment. I can't control what they say. I can't control what they do. But what I will not allow them to do is steal my peace with them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to care for them. I'm going to pray for them. It doesn't mean I'm going to hang out with them every day, but I'm going to have peace with them because I determined it. They're not trying to get back. They're not trying to get revenge. They're not trying to get even. Let me just pause right here and I'm almost done. But you know there are a lot of people. They spend a lot of time on what's buying, accumulating, and getting things. And a lot of times they're motivated by trying to get even with someone in their life that said they would never be anybody. I... I, I, my mother-in-law, I love her, and we've laughed about this for so many years, but this was something that I had to make peace with. My mother-in-law, she, she said, if you won't marry that boy, I'll give you a brand new IROC Z. It was, in the, it was in the driveway. I was thinking, hey, I'll do that. She's like, I ain't talking to you. But I spent a lot of my life, many years of my life, Pastor Barbara, 
working my fingers to the bone to try to prove that woman wrong. When I realized, I understood and finally come to the realization that I was motivated by the wrong things. I was trying to get back. I was trying to get even. I was trying to get revenge by saying, look at what I've accomplished. Look at what I've accumulated. And it had to dawn on me and understand that that's not making peace with people. If you are trying to buy and accumulate and climb the corporate ladder and get everything you can possibly get just to prove somebody in your life that you are somebody that wrote you off a long time ago, that said you'd never amount to nothing, you'd never be nothing, and you spend all your waking moment trying to accumulate things to make peace with that, you'll never be happy. You have to understand, I am somebody to God, and that's all that matters. I am somebody but to Him, and because I am valued, and I'm loved, and I'm cared for by Him, I'm at peace. It don't matter what they think about me. It don't matter what they say about me. It doesn't matter their opinion of me. I'm at peace with them. I love them and I care about what God thinks of me. When you get a hold of that, it's a huge relief. You're like, whoa. It's peace. It's peace. If you would just sit down and look in the mirror for a few minutes, there are a lot of people that are working their fingers to the bone because their daddy said there'd never be nobody. You got nothing to prove. And you're not proving it by buying stuff. And getting stuff. It is not the will of God for you to spend more money than you have just so your kids can have things you didn't have. That's not peace. Because next year they'll want more than they had this year. And what you're teaching them is that if you don't have these things, you can't be happy. And you're sitting an unrealistic precedence that when they have kids, they got to have more than they had or their kids won't be happy and then their kids won't be happy. You know what they need to understand? True peace and true contentment has nothing to do with what's on the shelf, what's in the toy box, what's in the garage. True peace and true contentment is when I am at peace with myself, when I am at peace with other people. Come on, somebody, I want you to have peace. I want you to have contentment. I want you to have joy in your walk with God and in your relationship with others. Content people are still not trying to forgive others. They're still not trying to move on. I pastor people right now that the lid of their heart is on. There's a lid on their heart. And everything God tries to pour in pours out. Good services, they don't get what they need. Great moves of God, they are not changed. That lid is unforgiveness. There's somebody in their life right now. Now, they'll say they've forgiven them, but deep down they know they have not. And that unforgiveness has placed a tight seal on their heart. You study in the Scripture, unforgiveness binds the hands of God. God would like to bless you. He can't because he's bound by this word. And until you make peace with that person, 
I don't care what they did. Were they wrong? Absolutely. Did they do you wrong? Absolutely. But when you refuse to forgive them, you don't put a lid on their heart. You put a lid on your heart. And you then bind the hands of God so that he cannot bless you. He cannot bless your children. He cannot bless generations because you are still harboring resentment. You are still harboring anger. You need to let that stuff go. You need to make peace with that. If it takes a phone call, make a phone call. If you need to write an email, write an email email. If you need to get them and talk to them one-on-one, let them know I apologize. I've held on to it. I'm sorry that I've called on to it so long. I'm letting it go. And the moment you do that, you rip the lid off of your own heart and God can begin to pour in blessings. Make peace with yourself. Make peace with other people. And then last but not least, and the most important Content people. They are not at war with God. They have a peace with God. They have confidence in God. They're not mad at God. I wish I could tell you how many people I've met that have lived way below the spiritual line to which God would like for them to live. As a pastor, it, it's like this tantalizing potential that I see in them. I'm like, dear Lord, I mean, that's like the things they could do for the kingdom. All the potential that they have. All the people they could reach. All the ministry they could lead. And yet, because of something that happened years ago, and they have not ever really gotten over their anger with God... They have a very detached relationship with God. I want to go to heaven. I want my kids to go to heaven. I respect the church. I love the church. I love God. But there is a part of them that is detached. There is no intimate fellowship with God like it once was. Why? Because they stood over the casket of a loved one and they were trying to understand why. A relationship was severed. They didn't get the job. Someone walked away in their life. And they blamed God for it. Most are not honest enough to admit it. They'll tell themselves they've made peace with it. But they really have not. Because they've never obtained what, what they once had in that relationship with God. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. And hear me well. You will never experience peace and contentment and purpose and joy in your life until you make peace with God. I've, you've heard me say this several times over the past few weeks. Your emotions are safe with God. You're not going to say something to God. You're not going to get so angry at God in prayer that you're going to make Him pout and run away and never talk to you again. You're talking about a God that wants you to say, I'm angry, I'm upset, I don't understand it, I don't know why it happened, it hurts, I don't like it. Your emotions and your anger are safe with God. It is far better to let that out, talk to Him, and be honest with Him than to harbor anger and resentment in your heart for 20 years and not be at peace with God. And when you're not at peace with God, you have no peace. You have 
have no contentment. You have no joy. Your relationship with God is the most important relationship that you have. I plead with you today, make peace with God. I don't know what happened. I don't know the circumstances, but what I can tell you, God loves you. God cares about you. God is for you. It doesn't mean you're going to understand everything. It doesn't mean it's all going to be clear on this side of heaven, but you've got to understand and have confidence in a God that loves you. I put people in the ground. I don't know why they die. But I've made peace with God because I know his heart. I know he would never do anything to hurt me. I know he would never do anything maliciously to separate me and him. And so I trust in him. I make peace with him and believe in that I'm getting peace myself. You know, the greatest thing about church is not the music, not the building. The people are great. You know what a church offers you? A place to make peace with God. Come on, somebody. We think of church as a place to get stuff. I get blessed. I get anointed. I get healed. The greatest thing about a church is you get rid of stuff. I get rid of the anger that I had against God. I get rid of the bitterness and the resentment that I hold towards God. I lay it at an altar and I say, God, I don't understand it. I don't know why it happened. I don't have the answers, but I ain't blaming you. I ain't mad at you. I'm following you. I'm obeying you. I make peace with you today. And brothers and sisters, when you grasp that, it, ain't, it don't matter how much money you got in the bank or the lack thereof. Woo. It don't matter what kind of jalopy you drove in the parking lot of the church. You know people like this. You see what they drive up, you think, my Lord, how are they so happy? I know where they work. I know the kind of money they don't have. I, I know their situation. I know the turmoil in their life. I know what's going on there. How are they so happy? I'll tell you, because they make peace with themselves. They're at peace with others, and they are at peace with God. Church is a great place to say, God, I want to be at peace with you. I want to be at peace with you. Proverbs 3, musicians are coming. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. What is that? I'm at peace with God. Lean not unto thy own understanding because you can't have both. You can't understand everything and have peace with God because there are some things we are not going to understand. Brother Marshall, I don't know why we had to put our mom in the grave. I, I don't understand that. But I trust in the Lord with all my heart. And because I trust in the Lord with all my heart, I don't have to have understanding. I don't have to have answers. I don't have to know why. But you know what I do get to have? Peace. I get to have peace. Not into thine own understanding. So anything that undermines your peace hmm. if you think about anything that's ever brought you pain in your life is something that undermined your relationship with God your relationship with yourself or someone in your life those three arenas in your life they rob you of contentment and peace 
Stand with me. I want you to hear this one statement. If you don't hear anything else, listen to Pastor. Peace with God paves the way to be at peace with ourselves and equips us to be at peace with others. Peace with God paves the way to be at peace with ourselves and equips us to be at peace with others. Here's how this works. Pastor opens up the altar. I walk down to this altar and I make peace with God. I pour my heart out to God. I say, God, I don't understand. I don't know why, but I trust you. And then I make peace with myself. God, forgive me for what I have done. I forgive myself. I let the blood be the blood. I let God be God, and I let him forgive me. I'm at peace with God. I'm at peace with myself. And then when I get up, then and only then can I be at peace with others. Peace with God, peace with yourself, and then peace with others. And in that state, in that frame of mind, you can have true contentment. Matthew twenty two thirty six, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. Someone say, Peace with God. This is the first and great commandment. But he doesn't stop there. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The greatest commandment is you must have peace in these three arenas. Peace with God. Peace with yourself. And peace with others. Brothers and sisters, I challenge you today. I give you the opportunity, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what you struggled with, no matter the war that may have gone on in your own heart or your own mind, I challenge someone today to wave a flag of surrender, to extend an olive branch to God today, to yourself, and to others. When you do that, the bombs of anxiety can stop. The missiles of depression can cease. The warfare of the mind can grow quiet when we find peace with the wars that are within us. And what better place to do that than in the place that God has created and designed the church. Heads bowed and eyes closed today. As I look across this congregation, I look in the eyes of people that are at war. They are in a battle. I don't know how many are courageous enough to admit it. I don't know how many are brave enough to admit this to themselves. But I'm at war. I'm at odds. 
with God, I'm at odds with myself, or I'm at odds with somebody else. But pastor is challenging you today to deal with that because it's going to rob you of your peace. And not only your peace, how can your children have peace if they don't see peace in you? How can your grandchildren see contentment and peace in their life if they cannot see it in yours? If you can't do it for yourself, father, mother, grandfather, grandmother, do it for them. Do it for them. I open these altars up today to people who want to make peace. Step to these altars and say, God, I want to make peace with you right now. I want to make peace with myself. I need to forgive myself. I got to quit beating myself up for something that happened a long time ago or it happened yesterday. I need to ask God to forgive me and make it right right now. Come on, I feel a strong pull of the Holy Ghost right now. I feel the Holy Ghost giving somebody an opportunity to turn the page in their life. I feel the power of God's Spirit giving somebody an opportunity to write a new chapter in their life today. Can you pray an honest prayer? God, forgive me for harboring resentment. Forgive me for harboring bitterness. God, forgive me for keeping things that I should have let go of a long time ago. I want to make peace today. Love the Lord God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Make that your prayer right now. Make that your commitment at this altar right now. Holy Ghost, help somebody. Holy Ghost, mend a wound right now that has gone too long. Bring healing today to a mind that is tortured by the past right now. Trouble the, bring peace to the troubled mind today, God. A storm that brews in their heart. Speak peace right now to it in the name of Jesus.